0: Georgia's probably going to be the first state I'm going to blow up, and, and Mr. Kemp and the Secretary of State need to go with it because they're in on the Dominion scam. And I'm going to release the Kraken. <laughs> How's that going?
1: How do you plead to the six counts of conspiracy to commit intentional interference with performance of election duties? Guilty. Oh,
0: so close. Sad.
1: I'm scared in case I fall off my chair, and I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the
2: left of me, jokers to the right, here I am stuck in the middle with you. I am. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA, also in California on KFOI and Round Mountains KKRN. Up in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's Queso and Eugene's KEPW. Lanchester, Pennsylvania's W News, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU. In Columbus, Ohio on WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP, Rochester, New York's WRFZ. Down in New Orleans on WHIV, out in Gallup, New Mexico on KNIZ. Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ, in Seattle on KODX, Jamesville, Wisconsin's WADR, and Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM950KTNF, amongst other fine terrestrial affiliates around this great land of ours. We also stream coast-to-coast and around the globe every day on the Internet on the Progressive Voices Channel, NetRuth Radio, Radio for Humans, NicoleSandler.com radio free brooklyn no lies radio verdant square radio detour talk and most of your favorite podcast sites blanketing planet earth i'm brad friedman your friendly investigative blogger journalist troublemaker muckraker all around swell fellow says me from bradblog.com don't look at me that way Desi, <laughs> uh, from bradblog.com thank you very much for joining us for another thrilling edition of the bradcast so uh, some joker on Twitter today wrote <clears throat> in response to the continuing dysfunction of the U.S. House GOP and their seeming inability to uh, to do even the simplest acts uh, of electing a House speaker over the past several days so that Congress can reopen for business. Uh, he wrote, quote, Please call your doctor if you have an election that lasts more than three days.
0: <laughs> That's a good one. <laughs>
2: Hi, Desi Doyen. Hi. Uh, Anyway, uh, while this morning it looked like the GOP may have gotten that message, by the afternoon, well, it appears that they are planning on holding another failed election for their current speaker nominee, Joe Jordan, Jim Jordan, sorry, Joe, even though it doesn't look like it's going to work out on the third attempt either, whenever that third attempt might actually come. But we will get to that A little bit later today because we've got what is arguably bigger news, at least for the moment, uh, at least important to this country and to this show in particular, as we've been covering and reporting on a very specific aspect of it for well over a year now and had some hand in helping to break it nationally over your public airwaves here on your friendly neighborhood broadcast pro Trump lawyer. Sidney Powell pleaded guilty to reduced charges on Thursday over her failed efforts to help Donald Trump steal the 2020 election in Georgia, becoming the second defendant in Fulton County District Attorney Fonnie Willis' sprawling election theft conspiracy case to reach a deal with prosecutors to plead guilty in exchange for no jail time. And an agreement in return to both cooperate with prosecutors and to testify against the other, now I believe it's 16, co-defendants who are still facing felony charges in that case. Powell, who was charged alongside Trump and 17 others originally with violating the state's anti-racketeering law, entered the plea just one day before jury selection was set to start in her trial, which she requested, along with fellow Trump attorney and co-defendant Ken the Cheese Cheeseborough, to begin (laughs) as soon as possible under Georgia's speedy trial provision. Powell pleaded guilty to six misdemeanors, accusing her of conspiring to intentionally interfere with the performance of election duties. As part of the deal, she will serve six consecutive years of probation. She'll be fined $6,000. She'll pay $2,700 in restitution to the state of Georgia. She will have to write an apology letter to Georgia and its residents. She also reportedly recorded a statement for prosecutors on Wednesday and agreed to both turn over documents in her possession related to the case, which could be very damning. And to testify truthfully against her 17 remaining co-defendants at future trials. She must comply with all of those provisions, like cooperating with prosecutors and testifying against those fellow co-defendants, including Donald Trump and Rudy Giuliani, both truthfully and to the fullest extent, or she can have those felony charges reinstated against her. Powell was initially charged with racketeering and six other counts, including conspiracy to commit election fraud and conspiracy to commit computer trespass. Get to that in a moment. As part of a wide ranging scheme to try and keep the Republican president in power after he lost the 2020 election to Joe Biden. Powell is also cited as one of six currently unindicted co-conspirators in Special Counsel Jack Smith's four-count criminal felony case against Donald Trump for his many failed attempts to steal the 2020 election at the federal level. Georgia prosecutors specifically focused on Powell's participation in the unauthorized breach of statewide voting equipment at the county elections office in rural Coffee County, Georgia, some 200 miles southeast of Atlanta, where Powell pleaded guilty today, for her part in the voting system tampering, theft, and distribution scheme that we helped break on this program with the recorded telephone call between co-defendant Scott Hall and our friend, uh, our friend and frequent guest, Marilyn Marks of the Coalition for Good Governance, wherein Scott Hall essentially is heard confessing to the entire Coffee County scheme to Marilyn. That's what exposed all of this at first. Hall, an Atlanta bail bondsman, was the first to plead guilty in the Fulton County racketeering case several weeks ago. Powell is now the second. After Powell offered her guilty plea to six misdemeanors in a Fulton County courtroom on Thursday, Prosecutor Dacia Young smartly summarized the Coffee County scheme, which Powell organized, according to prosecutors, after the County's then-election supervisor and still co-defendant in this case, Misty Hampton is her name, after she had agreed to allow Powell's MAGA team of so-called election experts into the elections office beginning on January 7, 2021. That would be the day after the insurrection in D.C., by the way, she allowed them in to copy ballots and to open and copy and distribute the state's sensitive proprietary voting system software.
1: Judge, if this case had gone to trial, the state would have shown that on between the dates of December 1st of 2020 and January 7th of 2021, the defendant Sidney Powell, along with several Co conspirators entered into a conspiracy to intervene with the performance of election duties of co defendant Misty Hampton, also known as Emily Misty Hayes. At all times relevant to the conspiracy, Misty Hampton was the elections director for Coffee County, Georgia, and was subject to all duties imposed by Chapter 2 of Title 21 of OCGA. The purpose of the conspiracy was to use Misty Hampton's position to unlawfully access secure elections machines in Coffee County, Georgia. The conspiracy included the following objectives: one, to willfully tamper with electronic ballot markers and tabulating machines; two, to cause certain members of the conspiracy who were not officers charged by law with the care of ballots and who were not persons entrusted by any such officer with the care of ballots for the for a purpose required by law to possess official ballots outside of the polling place. Three, to use a computer with knowledge that such use was without authority and with the intention of taking and appropriating information, data and software, the property of Dominion Voting Systems Corporation. Four, to use a computer with knowledge that such use was without authority and with the intention of removing voting data and Dominion Voting Systems Corporation data from said computer. Five, to use a computer with the intention of examining personal voter data with knowledge that such examination was without authority. Each of these constituted attempts to interfere with, hinder and delay Missy Hampton in the performance of her election duties. In furtherance of these conspiracies, the defendant entered into a contract with Sullivan Strickler LLC in Fulton County, Georgia, and delivered a payment to Sullivan Strickler LLC in Fulton County, Georgia, and caused employees of Sullivan Strickler LLC to travel from Fulton County georgia to coffee county georgia for the purpose of accomplishing the objectives of this conspiracy these were over acts to affect the object of the conspiracy the data taken from coffee county georgia was distributed to members of the conspiracy and unknown persons in georgia and elsewhere that would be the factual basis for the charges in this case
2: that's the factual basis for the charges in the case that Sidney powell Pleaded guilty to on Thursday. In fact, Sidney Powell arguably helped carry out the very election fraud that she falsely claimed Democrats had carried out or tried to carry out in order to win the 2020 election. The plea deal makes Powell the most prominent known person to be working with prosecutors investigating Trump's efforts to steal the 2020 election. Her cooperation, as AP's Kate Brumbach reports, threatens to expose the former president and offer insight on what he was saying and doing in the critical period after the election though we already know no small part of that story thanks to both Marilyn Marks and the guest who will be joining me here momentarily. Above all, as Brumbach notes, the guilty plea is a remarkable about-face for a lawyer who, perhaps more than anyone else, well, at least along with Rudy Giuliani and Trump himself, strenuously pushed baseless conspiracy theories about a stolen election in the face of extensive evidence to the contrary. She also has important knowledge about high-profile events, including the infamous news conference she participated in on behalf of Trump and his campaign shortly after the election and on a White House meeting that she attended in mid-December of 2020, in which prosecutors say ways to influence the outcome of the election were discussed. In fact... My guest today was able to help discover in plowing through legal documents in Marilyn Marx's long-running lawsuit against Georgia Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger, uh, where she is hoping to replace Georgia's unverifiable touchscreen voting systems with verifiable hand-marked paper ballots before 2024, Uh, My guest was able to plow through a lot of that legal material and the testimony that was made available by the House January 6 Committee regarding that infamous December 18, 2020 Oval Office meeting with Powell and Giuliani and Mike Flynn and um, uh, former Overstock.com billionaire and CEO Patrick Byrne uh, and others. And the Coffee County scheme, she was able to discover, was actually hatched with Donald Trump present in that Oval Office meeting. And, in fact, it was actually a multi-state scheme. It wasn't only Georgia. But we'll get to that in a moment. Powell, for her part, gained notoriety for threatening in a Fox Business interview in November 2020 to, quote, release the Kraken, as you heard at the top of the show, invoking the mythical sea monster uh, when she was talking about a lawsuit she planned to file to challenge the results of the presidential election in Georgia and elsewhere. Similar suits she filed in several states were all promptly dismissed. In high-profile appearances, often alongside other members of the Trump legal team, Powell pushed conspiracies involving involving Cuba and China and George Soros and the Clintons, and my personal favorite, of course, baselessly claiming that the voting machines had flipped millions of votes from Trump to Biden with the help of dead Venezuelan president Hugo Chavez. It's my favorite because I need to take some direct credit for that one, as Powell had cited and bastardized my own accurate, at the time, exclusive reporting at uh, bradblog.com from about 2008 through 2010. She cited that uh, those articles to support her false claim about Chavez and Venezuela In the 2020 election, somehow. But thanks for the uh, website, Traffic Sydney. Sorry it confused you and helped you become indicted. Thursday's guilty plea, according to the New York Times, was a blow to Mr. Trump, who faces the most charges of any defendant, along with Rudy Giuliani, his former personal lawyer. Both men face 13 counts in the Georgia plot. Significantly, it means that a member of the Trump legal team will now cooperate with the prosecution as it pursues criminal convictions related to efforts to keep the former president in power after he lost the 2020 election. Now, Powell was about to go on trial uh, beginning next week, along with Trump lawyer Kenneth the Cheese cheese Cheesebro, after each filed a demand for a speedy trial, jury selection was still set to begin on Friday for uh, Cheesebro, who, short of his own guilty plea with prosecutors, if he decides to do that, short of that, he will now be the only defendant to face a speedy trial next week, or as the famous old children's song reminds us... <laughs> Joining us now uh, for a maybe somewhat more adult perspective on all of this is our old friend Susan Greenhall of the nonpartisan good government group Freespeechforpeople.org. dot org. Susan is a longtime election integrity and transparency expert and advocate who has been working very closely on the coffee county matter along with Marilyn Marks uh, of Coalition for Good Governance for quite some time. Susan, in fact, is the one who put the pieces together from the uh, January 6th House testimony that tied the Coffee County voting software breach to others uh, similar to it around the country as a plot that was hatched in the Oval Office in that notorious, hours-long, December 18 meeting that was described at the time as perhaps the most insane to ever take place in Trump's White House, after which, by the way, Trump tweeted that night. He tweeted out his invitation to come to D.C. on January 6th for a rally that he promised, quote, will be wild. Susan Greenhall, welcome back to the broadcast on what I'm guessing uh, is a big day for you and one which I believe you are due both thanks and congratulations.
3: Thank you so much, Brad. Yeah, it's been a it's been pretty um, interesting day
2: <laughs> yes. seeing this development. I, first, I I just sort of need to get your top line reaction to the uh, this development, uh, which came as a bit of a surprise to many, given the Powell's trial was set to begin on Monday. Um, so just first, your your general thoughts? Uh, is this a good thing that she got what appears to be? somewhat of a sweetheart deal to avoid uh, jail, pay a few thousand dollars and, you know, well, cooperate with prosecutors.
3: Yeah, I was really surprised at how lenient the deal is. So I'm hoping that this means that she's really going to bring the goods. Um, But I think it's important to keep in mind that Fonny Willis charged her in her participation of the breach of voting systems in coffee county georgia Mm -hmm. but we know that she's been involved in voting system software breaches in other states like in michigan Mm -hmm. um in michigan the um her co-counsel in the kraken lawsuit stephanie lambert Mm -hmm. um what has been indicted on illegally breaching voting machines or illegally accessing and possessing voting machines in in Michigan, but Sydney hasn't been charged there. Mm. Um so while she was charged in, in Georgia and may be cooperating in this part of the scheme, I think it's always important to keep in mind that this was a a networked coordinated multi-pronged plan yep. to get access to voting systems in multiple states that she was part of. And she really shouldn't escape responsibility for that, for the other her, you know, her role in um, those alleged uh, criminal activities in other states.
2: And we will get to some of those in a bit, Susan. Uh, You and Marilyn Marks uh, as well have been very critical, just sticking in Georgia for the moment, uh, been very critical of Georgia Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger for not taking action himself after the uh, Coffee County breach came to light, even arguably, uh, as I've uh, argued in any event, uh, covering up what happened in Georgia County, despite many seeing him as a hero for not, uh, you know, rolling over to Donald Trump on that phone call where he was strong arming him into uh, trying to flip the election for uh, for Trump um, do these five in, uh, indictments of five participants now in specifically as part of this uh, broader scheme, but the five participants in the Coffee County scheme, two of them now having pleaded guilty, Sidney Powell and Scott Hall, and said to be cooperating with prosecutors. Does does that ease any of your concerns in any way about what Georgia uh, is or isn't doing in light of the breach of the statewide voting system there in advance of twenty twenty four?
3: Um, it, you know, in a in a word, no. I'm I'm really um concerned, and we've been been banging this alarm, and and uh on the Brad show as well on the Brad blog, you know, Brad blog show.
0: Mm-hmm. Um,
2: Close enough
3: about <laughs> about the um the need for a federal investigation um to, to look at where this software has been distributed um and who got it and what they plan to do with it. We know that. Um, under Sidney Powell's admitted um, payment and mm-hmm. direction now, uh, or maybe she didn't. She didn't plead to this part of the conspiracy, but um, b- based on what she was charged, that she um, paid people to go in and and co- make copies of the voting system software, and then it was shared among a very broad network of MAGA Trump election deniers mm-hmm. covertly, not publicly. They kept it a secret because they knew they shouldn't have been doing it. Um, And what are they going to do with it? And I've likened this to um, to suppose there was a plutonium laboratory that had a a robbery in it and your local police um, within the county prosecuted the thieves or the, the people that let them in. Um, You wouldn't expect them to stop there. You would expect the feds to go out and find out who got the plutonium and what Mm -hmm. they're planning to do with it. And are they going to try and build a dirty bomb? Mm -hmm. And that's the kind of investigation that we need right now because the software, the voting system software, and keep in mind, this is not data. This is not totals of votes. This is the actual software that runs the devices, Mm -hmm. has been shared amongst these people that we know. Are willing to do a lot of um, really, you know, across the line uh, things to, to, for their own ends. Yep. And we can't be naive and think that they would not try and use the software to disrupt or subvert the 2024 election. And, and we desperately need uh, uh, federal law enforcement to get involved.
2: And you wrote about that uh, this week at Slate. And I will, uh, when I post today's show, I'm going to link folks over to that article that you wrote with, um, Cliff Albright, the co-founder of Black Voters Matter, and our friend and guest over the years, Georgia Tech computer scientist Rich Demillo, uh, who has himself explained on this show that he is wildly alarmed about the uh, Georgia Dominion voting system software being out there in the wild in advance of 2024. I spoke with Marilyn Marks a little bit earlier today, and she uh, wanted to get her. I wanted to get her comment on Powell's plea deal. And she sort of echoed some of those concerns. She characterized the deal as, quote, eminently important news. She told me it was good for democracy itself because it's likely to help convict both Giuliani and Trump and reinforces the seriousness of this particular crime in Coffee County. The extent that this uh, uh, voting software getting out into the wild before the 2024 election Um, is being underscored, she felt. Uh, She followed up with a more formal statement to say, quote, while Georgia's Secretary of State has turned a blind eye and declined to either investigate or mitigate this massive security failure, at least D.A. Willis is holding some of the ringleaders accountable in ways that will certainly expose other actors' wrongdoing in this unlawful attempt to subvert the 2020 election. As to that software getting out into the wild Susan Greenhall what and 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 how could it be used or or misused as the case may be uh in next year's elections in both Georgia and other states
3: um so and this is this is me channeling people like professor Demello from Georgia mm-hmm. Tech and other computer scientists that I work with mm-hmm. um because I am not a computer scientist but mm-hmm. this is what I have been told um The software, so this is the software I said that actually runs the machines and counts the votes. Mm -hmm. So uh, what a bad actor might do is put it on their own computers and make a replica of the voting machine, of their own devices, their own hardware, And you, because they use off-the-shelf devices that Mm -hmm. you can buy from Best Buy. So you can basically make your own machine and then figure out how you would best exploit it the easiest, quickest, most... Um, stealth way possible, find vulnerabilities in the software potentially to exploit it to uh, corrupt a future election. Um, they don't even have to go that far for the software to be extremely damaging for 2024. They could take the software and use it to fabricate evidence and say, look, the election was stolen and, and Trump really won because, you know, as you may recall, one of Sydney Powell's biggest problems when she went into court was she didn't have any evidence. So it's possible they could use this this to fabricate evidence or further She didn't have any evidence
2: expressed. of uh, evidence that uh, of of wrongdoing of of fraud in the 2020 election. Right, right. Uh-huh. Yeah. And so it, now she would be able to I mean they can invent evidence essentially with these systems, can they not?
3: Man, yes, they can manufacture evidence.
2: Yeah uh
3: for disinformation I, yeah-
2: and and could they also along with that then sort of use it to raise the specter that the twenty twenty four election was stolen because they know how to game the systems and and just as as I said invent evidence,
3: yes, and rile up inflame people's tensions mm-hmm. um you know, stoke fury and potentially violence again mm. we know how how dangerous that can that sort of those sort of lies can be weaponized and they could be made even more um, effective.
2: So you helped, uh, as I noted, to uncover uh, that Powell actually knows a whole lot about this uh, this plot to breach not just the voting systems in Georgia but elsewhere around the country and as you mentioned earlier you've called on special counsel jack smith to investigate this as a multi-state conspiracy we've had john to talk about it uh, on, on several occasions this consp- a multi-state conspiracy to breach voting systems in Georgia in Michigan in Pennsylvania in Colorado possibly elsewhere Do you have any indication yet that that is happening, that Smith is actually looking at this? Anybody is looking at this on a on a federal level, tying all of these states together. And if not, or even if so, do you think uh, Powell's cooperation here with prosecutors in uh, uh, Georgia will be helpful to goose along a, a federal investigation in that regard?
3: So I uh, to the answer to the last part of your question, we certainly hope so. Um, and to the first part, we still have no see no evidence of that sort of investigation. As I've mentioned on this call previously, or in the show previously, we regularly um, put in public records requests into Coffee County to see if they've been contacted by anyone at the. FBI or the Justice Department or from the special counsel's office. And we have repeatedly are told that there are no responsive records, mm-hmm. which means they have not contacted them. So if you're going to be investigating this breach, I think the first place you would start would be Coffee County. So we take mm-hmm. that as pretty um, persuasive evidence that we're still not seeing any sort of investigation there and you know you know how these investigations can leak out because once the subpoena is issued or a call for you know mm-hmm. a request for an interview then the fbi or the doj won't talk about the interview but the person who was interviewed can talk about it and say mm-hmm. i was asked about this um what we have have seen are, are some people who have gone in to speak to the fbi and the, the special counsel and they say hey you know there's this voting system software breach Um, But we're not seeing the um, the Justice Department making that their line of inquiry.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I know. And this is what troubles me, uh, both on the federal level and even back in Georgia, the. The prosecutor today mentioned co-defendant Misty Hampton, for example, the uh, then Coffee County election supervisor who gave access to the breachers. She was, uh, and she's charged in this case. She was essentially fired by the county when all of this came to light, though not for the breach, but some made-up charge that she uh, mishandled timesheets or something. To, you know, essentially try to whitewash her involvement in this plot. Now. Marilyn Marks has subpoenaed Hampton's emails during her uh, period as election supervisor there, but was told by the Coffee County attorneys that all of her thousands of emails from her several years as election director in Coffee County, they had all been lost or deleted or something. They couldn't be found. But uh, since Marilyn was on the show uh, a couple of weeks ago, the day that Scott Hall pleaded guilty, uh, since then, she has told me that those emails have apparently been found, that they have been sitting on a desktop computer in the Coffee County office the whole time. Misty Hampton's desktop computer that was found by the uh, Georgia Bureau of Investigations uh, looking into this uh, apparently. How important are those emails now? So piecing together the continuing questions about all of that, do you have any confidence that the GBI is actually doing that? And have you been able to review any of those newly, uh, quote unquote, discovered emails? Well,
3: uh, we don't um, know what the GBI is doing with those emails. And from what we've seen, we haven't seen the GBI really performing a very strenuous investigation, unfortunately, and, uh, you know, and it's, as we know so far, it took them a long time to get where they are today. They turned their investigation over to the attorney general, and we still haven't seen any charges coming from Georgia's state um, law enforcement. So, you know, it's it's all come down to the Fulton County district attorney, so so it's a county-level district attorney who's bringing these charges, and a county, not, a county by no the charges way, in Coffee County, a, no, a, nothing from the state. A, um, a county,
2: by the way, Susan, that is 200 miles away from Coffee County.
3: That's right. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and yet, the Coffee County sheriff and D- district attorney have done nothing and um, reportedly have no investigation. And they are not attempting to hold anybody accountable, even though, as your um, listeners probably know well, mm-hmm. that the whole alleged crime was captured very um in, in great detail on surveillance video. So there's really little question about what happened. You can watch it all unfold um on the video and yet nobody in Coffee County thought to consider charging any of these <laughs>
2: Which is what I'm concerned about. You know, I know there's a lot of focus, of course, on on Fannie Willis's case because Donald Trump is involved and Giuliani and so forth. And the larger picture of having, you know, attempted to steal the 2020 election. But there is all of this other stuff that matters moving forward that does not seem to be investigated at all right now uh, on on the federal level as as you 've discussed, but even in Georgia, even how the election in Georgia, which is still a critical swing state for next year, you know how it 's being dealt with there, Secretary of State Raffensberger told uh, the court in Marilyn marx 's uh, coalition lawsuit that they are not going to patch the systems. Dominion has made uh, software patches to improve some of the theoretically improve some of the security concerns that were discovered during this lawsuit. But Raffensperger is not even going to apply those patches, he says, his office says, until after the 2024 election. So. I, you know, I'm glad that everyone's paying attention uh, to what Fonnie Willis is doing. I'm glad that uh, Sidney Powell is now, uh, you know, has pled guilty uh, that she's now cooperating. And I think a lot of that a lot is going to come out of that. But I'm afraid that people will look at that case in Atlanta and think, well, that's it. They caught the bad guys. But I don't think this story is over by a long shot. As I see it, is there anything, Susan Greenhall, that people can do to sort of help move the ball forward as you see it to sort of help encourage uh, really investigations at both the federal and state level at this point?
3: Well, we would encourage people to reach out to their uh, congressional members in, the, the, in Congress and in the Senate to request that their, um for their congressional representatives to um, ask for, an investigation from the Department of Justice to protect the 2024 election to understand where the software's gone, who all has been involved, because there were a lot of people that this software has been distributed to that have been very much involved in this. Mm-hmm. People like Phil Waldron, Michael, uh, uh,
2: Mike Lindell of, Mike uh, Lindell. my yeah. hello guy. yeah, um,
3: Conan Hayes, they all have copies of the software yeah. and, and we don't know what they're doing with it. So I think if, if we can start getting some pressure coming from Congress, that might help. I think it's going to be interesting to see what happens when Sydney Powell finally takes the stand. But I don't think we should wait for that because it could be quite a long time from now. Yep. But we should all be looking out to see how much of this, how she describes how this plot was discussed in the Oval Office, as we know it was um, to a degree from that January 6th committee testimony. But I think she has the potential to really um, put the finger on Trump um, as part of this, and it'll be remains to be seen how that develops. But that's what I'm really
2: looking for. You know, yeah, normally you mentioned Congress. I mean, normally if we had a functional Congress, um, at least (laughs) one that was headed by uh, Democrats, this might be something that you would have, you know, that they could shine a light on through hearings. Now, um, you know, with the Republicans in charge, there is unlikely to be any hearings at all. And with the Republicans in charge, there is unlikely to be any hearings on anything the way things are going uh, in the U.S. House right now. So this really is up to uh, people, I think, to make some noise and to continue uh, to carry on and to bother your uh, your, uh, you know, Congress member about it, such as uh, they can at least be made aware of it and not think, oh, this is all done. They're rounding them all up down there in Fulton County. Uh, Funny mm-hmm. Willis has it all taken care of. So anyway, that's why I want to keep the ball moving forward. I know you will continue to do so, Susan, at uh, free for dot org, as you have done. Uh, For so long, uh, such an important part of this story. Thank you for that. Congratulations again, really, for your hard work uh, paying off at least a little bit here. I think there will be more to come and more reasons to celebrate. But hopefully, Susan, you are taking at least a small victory lap today for a few (laughs) minutes because you deserve it. Thank you for that and, and for joining us today.
3: Thanks for having me.
2: You can find Susan's work, amongst other places, at freespeechforpeople.org. You can follow uh, Free Speech for People on Twitter at FSFP. That's Free Speech for People. As I noted, I will uh, link when I post today's show to her latest article at Slate, headlined, The Georgia Voting Machine Theft Poses a Direct Threat to the 2024 Election. Thank you, Susan. We'll talk soon, I suspect. Thank you. Susan Greenhall's work is so important here in in this case.
0: Yes, Uh, she did just an amazing job in uncovering all of this. And I must say, for Powell, for Sidney Powell, I'd wager that she did not expect this was all going to turn out in a guilty plea.
2: I don't know what the hell she was expecting when she released the Kraken.
0: (laughs) What did she think she was doing? Well, this is what she got.
2: Uh, Yeah, I don't think she was thinking anything. All right, quick break. And speaking of that dysfunctional U.S. House, uh, we'll come back to whatever the hell is happening there. And that could change between now and the time we come back. uh, Straight ahead. I'm Brad Friedman. You're listening to The Bradcast. (laughs) Master of the house, doling out the charm Ready with a handshake and an open palm Tells a saucy tale, makes a little stir Customers appreciate a bone beaver
0: Glad to do a friend a favor Doesn't cost me to
1: be nice Mm-mm. But nothing gets you nothing Everything has got a little
2: price Master of the house, quick to yeah. catch your eye Never once a Sounds just like Jim Jordan, doesn't it? <laughs> yes. Welcome back to the broadcast, Brad Friedman from Bradblog.com. Green News Report is coming up momentarily, but in a day of whiplash and uncertainty on Capitol Hill, Congressman Jim Jordan of Ohio said Thursday he would push for yet another vote to become speaker. Oh, goody. Even in the face of a growing block of Republican opposition. Uh, I'm loath to even cover this because it could change before we even get off the air, Desi Doyen. This how many times he have this has changed today? Just hours after the hard right Republican said he would hit pause on his candidacy and support elevating the interim Speaker, Representative Patrick McHenry of North Carolina, to temporarily lead the House. Jordan reversed course yet again and said he would move forward with his bid to win the Post, though it was not immediately clear when another vote could be scheduled. His decision reportedly came after a furious backlash from rank-and-file Republicans, including many of his far-right supporters, who said that, Empowering McHenry, a stand-in appointed to his post after the hard-right GOP moved to oust then-Speaker Kevin McCarthy, would effectively cede control of the House floor to Democrats somehow and set a bad precedent. It was the latest abrupt turn in a Republican speaker drama that has played out for more than two weeks, underscoring the depth of the party's division and disarray. What? I thought it was always Democrats in disarray, New York (laughs) Times. Are you okay? Unable to unite behind a candidate to lead them, the GOP now can't even agree on a temporary solution to allow the paralyzed House... To function while they sort out their differences.
0: You know, I'm beginning to think Republicans are just too emotional. They really just can't handle all of this really, really heavy-duty stuff.
2: They should smile more. Yes. That's what I'm thinking. Anyway, now, in theory, uh, as as Josh Marshall of TPM sort of laid out earlier on Thursday, before Jordan's latest turnabout, to say, OK, I'll run after all at some point, uh, in theory, as, as he argued, and I think correctly, Jim Jordan cannot admit to having lost this race. He would just sort of remain the de facto speaker designee for the next several months under this plan to elevate McHenry, uh, who is, you know, nominally nominally he's been running the place as a as a placeholder, a temporary speaker. But Jordan, who would still have his nomination by the caucus to become speaker, he would still have that in place if he could... Put McHenry in in there temporarily. That means that you know Jordan would be the speaker designee, and he could act as if he was the speaker, which is close enough for this bunch.
0: Yeah, a shadow speaker.
2: He could tell the uh, the, the McHenry and what the caucus should do without actually having to actually be the speaker, or more helpfully for him, without even having to admit that he was not. Actually, the speaker, because he was still the party's de facto nominee and therefore the speaker designate who could, you know, who can actually win a vote to become the real speaker, to become a real boy. Anyway, as Josh <laughs> described it, uh, quote, in other words, it's an off ramp. Jordan can't stomach the idea of losing. So in this scenario, he doesn't have to lose. No one will be calling him Jimmy Lowe votes. The election is just delayed. Get it? Now, that was hours ago, and things seems to have changed several times since then, and probably before many of our listeners even hear today's show, it'll change again. But that seemed to be what Jordan was going for until it all apparently fell apart yet again in that closed-door meeting of the Republican conference where the hardliners who actually support Jordan were furious about this plan, saying that it somehow allowed Democrats— to run the very slim GOP-majority House. McHenry, by the way, is a Republican. He is not a Democrat. The idea, according to the New York Times, was met with intense backlash during a raucous closed-door meeting of House Republicans with several members emerging and declaring the proposal dead on arrival. Some members waved pocket-sized copies of the U.S. Constitution (laughs) and suggested the plan violated the the country's founding principles. Now, (laughs) it is somewhat off of what the Constitution says we're supposed to do here. I'm not sure if it's off the country's founding principles, but, you know, these are all a bunch of drama queens. Anyway, so Jordan said, "Okay, all right, I'll, I'll I'll just keep running. And after losing 20 Republican votes in a floor vote on Tuesday and then losing 22 votes, even more votes from his own caucus on Wednesday, we will now have a third election says jordan with jordan as the nominee though nobody has any idea when that will happen as we go to air today got it that's where we are uh, as and as all of that infighting continues in the republican party in disarray the house remains without an, a real elected speaker even with wars raging in the Middle East and in Ukraine. And meanwhile, on the domestic front, Congress faces a mid-November deadline to pass a spending measure in order to avert a government shutdown. Other than that, it's all going very well with Republicans in charge in the House. That's what you get. And uh, just a bit of news from the U.S. Senate, meanwhile, on the Democratic side of the aisle today before we uh, get to our latest Green News report. LaFonza Butler, a Democrat who was appointed by California Governor Gavin Newsom this month to fill Dianne Feinstein's seat, said that she will not seek a full Senate term next year. Butler is the first openly LGBTQ person to represent California in the chamber. She was appointed by Governor Newsom following Feinstein's death last month at the age of 90. She was sworn in on October 3. She is the third black woman to serve in the U.S. Senate and said she'll finish the remainder of Feinstein's term, which ends in January of 2025 with, quote, Every ounce of energy and effort that I have. Now, it was somewhat controversial when uh, Newsom appointed her. I don't know uh, how he would have really avoided controversy, no matter what he did. True. But um, it was controversial because three top Democrats in the U.S. House had also had already announced that they were interested in running for that seat. So with Butler dropping out, I guess this will allow the real fight for uh, DiFi's seat to move ahead between three top-tier Democrats from the U.S. House who have already declared they will be running, specifically Congresswoman Barbara Lee, who would, if successful, become the fourth black woman to serve in the the Senate if she won. And she was the most troubled, I guess, by uh, Butler's appointment. But now that Butler's not running, I guess it's game on between Barbara Lee uh, and Congresswoman Katie Porter and Congresswoman Adam Schiff.
0: Congressman.
2: What did I say? Oh, I call him a woman. Oh, (laughs) nothing personal, Adam. Sorry. Congressman Adam Schiff. And many have described this already as uh, likely to be the most expensive U.S. Senate race in history, as those three members of Congress Uh, vie for DiFi's seat on the Republican side. Former baseball all-star Steve Garvey has already declared that he will run as a Republican in the primaries next year in uh, California, out here where the top two vote-getters of any party end up going on to the November general election. So that's where we are in the U.S. Senate for now. Um, Green News Report. That's next on the broadcast. It's been a minute or two since our last segment. Have there been any changes in the U.S. House? Has Jim Jordan uh, run and lost again for uh, U.S. speaker? I don't think so. Okay, well, uh, keep an eye on that over the next six minutes, Des, (laughs) because that could change at any moment. As we get to our latest green news report.
0: You know, I do think for an arctic species, the future is uncertain. Alaska cancels snow crab harvest due to crashing populations. New documents show the natural gas industry used Big Tobacco's playbook to block gas stove pollution regulations. Plus sweeping new study finds the u.s is on track to reach net zero climate goals good but it's going to take a lot more work Uh,
2: all of that work and more straight ahead from bradblog.com i'm brad friedman
0: and i'm desi Doyen.
2: stand by for six minutes of independent green news politics analysis and snarky comment so we're fighting back i'm fighting back i'm like no don't take away gas popular gas stoves from people nobody was ever taking away gas stoves from anybody. Arizona Congresswoman Debbie Lesko, glad to hear you're not running for re-election because Congress is broken. I wonder who broke it. This is your Green News Report. Okay, Desi Doyen, I'm sitting here with melted butter, (laughs) ready to go. And you're telling me the snow crab
0: season is canceled? What? Yes, yes, it's true. But we'll get to that story in a moment. Okay. First... 2023 is now virtually certain to be the hottest year ever recorded since records began in the mid-1800s. That's according to non-profit data firm Carbon Brief. And it's also thanks to man-made climate change and current and projected El Nino conditions in coming months. 90% of human-caused global warming is absorbed by the oceans. And NOAA confirmed this week that global ocean temperatures reached record highs over the summer of 2023. And that severely impacted coral reefs and marine life. In Alaska, the State Department of Fish and Game has announced it will again cancel this year's Bering Sea snow crab harvest after last year's first-ever closure. Mm. It's a huge blow to commercial fishers, but State Research Coordinator Benjamin Daly says it is critical to prevent population collapse as ocean warming accelerates.
2: We're trying to, you know, err on the side of conservation. Uh, and give them the best shot that they have for, for kind of thriving in the future, given the,
0: the the challenges that they're facing in the environment.
2: Yeah, but what about my melted butter?
0: In New York State, trade groups for the natural gas and building construction industry have filed suit to block a new state law that would phase out natural gas-fired furnaces and stoves in new buildings, saying the state law is preempted by federal rules regulating gas-fired appliances. And speaking of natural gas, internal documents uncovered in a new report from NPR and the Climate Investigation Center reveals that the natural gas utility industry knew, at least since 1970, that cooking with natural gas stoves posed health risks from indoor pollution, especially for children. But instead of acting to protect public health, over the last 50 or so years, the gas utility industry and its trade group, the American Gas Association, instead deployed Big Tobacco's Playbook of Denial, funding studies that cast doubt on the health risks, muddied the scientific data, and confused consumers and regulators about the potential dangers of cooking with gas. Why
2: am I not surprised in any way, shape, or form?
0: They also invested millions over the decades to successfully block efforts to protect consumers from indoor air pollution.
2: Because of course they did. Let's lower their taxes some more, shall we?
0: NPR notes that the industry is still using those successful tactics today. But some big news. In a sweeping new report, the National Academy of Sciences concludes that the U.S. can achieve its net zero targets by 2050 thanks to the recent flood of federal funding to expand clean energy. That's in major climate policies like President Biden and the Democrats' Inflation Reduction Act and the Bipartisan Infrastructure Law. But... And it's a big but. That's only if the programs are implemented as fully and efficiently as possible, which the report warns will require a lot of work. The report makes more than 80 recommendations on how to speed up decarbonization in the U.S., and one key step in the energy transition is banning natural gas connections in new buildings.
2: Oh, they're gonna take away your stoves, Debbie. Let's go.
0: Finally, a new study published in the journal Nature this week finds that the cost of Solar energy has fallen so quickly and achieved so much momentum globally that the world may have already reached an irreversible tipping point in the transition to clean electricity.
2: That's a good thing,
0: right? That's a very good thing. The researchers say, quote, due to technological trajectories set in motion by past policy, a global irreversible solar tipping point may have passed where solar energy gradually comes to dominate global electricity markets without any further climate policies.
2: Anything we can do without having to do any more work, any more policies, is probably a very good thing. For much more on all of these stories and the ones we couldn't get to today, check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyon, And this has been your Green News Report.
1: It's all about taking the out
2: for you, I yeah, it is. <laughs> At this point, it absolutely is. We have a broken Congress. They can't do any. They can't pass any policies. That's true. I mean, That's come true. on.
0: Elections have consequences. So, yes,
2: <sighs> they do indeed. All right. We have to uh, got to get out. My uh, thanks to our producer, Desi Doyen, as ever. Thank yep. you, Des. To my guest today, Susan Greenhall of FreeSpeechForPeople.org, and to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. It's always an honor. It's always greatly appreciated. If you missed any portion of today's program or any other we have ever done since the beginning of time, you can download it anytime (laughs) for free at bradblog.com to share them with your friends and your family and your neighbors and your enemies. Uh, That is free thanks to those of you kind enough to stop by bradblog.com slash donate or just hit one of those donate buttons when you're at bradblog.com because we really rely on your support to stay on your public airwaves. And I know I say that all the time. But I'm never kidding, and I'm not kidding now more than I am ever not kidding. Uh, we really could use your help. We we don't want you to tune into the Bradcast one day and find out it's not there and think, oh, darn, I should have donated. I should have <laughs> signed up for a monthly uh, subscription to uh, the Bradcast. Really, uh, we could use your support. Bradblog.com slash donate. Drop me email if you like. I am bradcast at bradblog.com. On the Facebook's Mastodons and site, still known as Twitter, you will find me at the TheBradBlog. And by the way, if you want to bother Desi, you can reach her at those same places at... Green News Report. Oh, I've heard of you. Yes. Thank you very much. All right. Come th- say hi. There you go. Thanks to everybody. We will uh, see you at all of the above. Until we see you here next time, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. <music>
4: I'm Rick Smith, and this is Labor History in Two. On this day in labor history, the year was 2013. That was the day that two workers on California's Bay Area Rapid Transit, or BART as it is more commonly called, were struck and killed by a train. Christopher Shepard was a BART track engineer. Lawrence Daniels was a contract employee. Both men had years of experience working on the tracks. They were inspecting the tracks when they were hit and killed. Workers who usually operated the trains were out on strike. The Amalgamated Transit Union Local 1555 and SEIU Local 1021 had walked off the job the day before. The strike disrupted the daily commute of 400,000 Bay Area travelers. The unions were on strike for improved wages and safer working conditions. The union wanted bulletproof glass for station agent booths for worker safety. They also asked for improved lighting in the tunnels. According to an article in Mother Jones, quote, a BART spokesman called the safety issues a smokescreen, arguing that contract negotiations were not the place to raise them. In response to the strike, BART was training a replacement worker to run the train when the tragedy occurred. The manager, who was supposed to monitor the unexperienced driver, had left the car. In addition, the National Transportation Safety Board found that BART had no way for workers on the tracks to communicate with the drivers. The family of Lawrence Daniels sued BART, which settled for $300,000. The union and BART settled the strike two days after the tragic deaths. The union won nearly a 16% pay raise. The union also won safety upgrades. But management won concessions on employee contributions to medical benefits and pensions. Labor History and Two brought to you by the Illinois Labor History Society and the Rick Smith Show. For more information, go to dot